Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between. And um, we're delighted to welcome Saskia Bujo uh, again um, with us. We spoke to Saskia about periods in our last podcast with her. This podcast is all about sex education. Um, and so Saskia is going to tell you a little bit about herself and why we've asked her to talk about sex education and, and perhaps just a little intro. So over to you, Saskia. Thank you. So thanks for having me this morning. Lovely to be back. Um, so yeah, I was last with you to talk about periods, but my 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 job, my my career is more broadly around relationship and sex education and teaching it. Um, so I, I talk a lot about periods, but I would say two thirds of my work is dedicated to relationship and sex education. So teaching in schools, um, talking to parents about you know what foundations to put in place at home, um, and acknowledging that those aren't easy for parents. Um, and also the other part of my work, the other strand, is teacher training. So there's um, a new curriculum, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But so teachers are requiring updates regularly on how they can deliver a comprehensive sex education in schools. So I think maybe it's worth sort of starting this episode just doing a tiny bit of a trigger warning in terms of, um, you know, we are talking about relationships and sex education in the context of our little children who we've been protecting from day one from any sort of harm or risk. or um, And so it is naturally does feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable and perhaps um, something that not everyone's comfortable doing. But I think the, the point of, of, of being able to be that approachable adult is that our children have so many questions um, and we really want to be that source of information. Um, so how, you know, I think a big part of this talk will be how we can try and sort of dismantle a little bit our own reactions um, without sort of invalidating anything because they, they are also part of who we are, but but making sure that we are that source of information so they're not going to peers who might be misinformed and then going to the internet and we know where that will take them. Um, so I think it's worth just thinking about, you know, there'll be lots to think about after this and, and you know, treading gently and carefully and thinking about a lot of the topics over the next few days is, is um is is not necessarily about doing anything today but having a long lens over the conversation definitely i think it's one of those aspects in bringing up children that it over the years i've heard so many different explanations of what you know sex is and all of those sorts of things and very often it's down to how the parent feels at that time dependent on the age of their child because very often it's like no they're far too young to understand any of that so we're just going to skip over it 
Um, and then they kind of hit a stage where it's like, oh, I just don't really want to have this conversation. Um, and I've also had people who had children who ask at the most awkward times. So it's like round the dinner table with grandparents, somewhere, <laughs> those sorts of things. And um, they're like, how did? And it's like, ah. Um, but I think there's this element of panic around it, of getting it wrong. Again, mm. I think, do you, you know, worrying about telling children too young, too much. And then I, I think that even might be as they get older, you know, how, how do we talk to them about it? I think is probably what people build up to mm. so much. Do you? Do you either of you remember, I don't even remember being talked about this with my parents. I just don't remember it at all. Well, do I you, do. Claire? Yeah. Oh, you do? It was through the, through the explanation of <laughs> being out on the farm <laughs> and, you know, it's animal, um, kind of animals don't worry about what they do when they do it. Um, and I was there and we had a bull and I'm like, what's he doing? Dad's like, well, he's impregnating the cow. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's like, that's how babies are made. And I was like, right. <laughs> and so it was just, you know, in my dad's typical form of, there you go, there's the information. And then it was sort of talked about in that context. But I don't, I was never sat down for the talk. Yeah. Do you remember Saskia how you were told um, about I you know I had a, a have a great relationship with both of my parents but it's worth saying I never had any sort of talk and I didn't have any formal education either at school. Um and you know that is still true of so many young people today they can have really open conversations about everything at home, um, not have great sex education at school. And so, you know, that's why we're thinking about where are they getting their answers from? Um, and it's interesting you talk mm -hmm. about animals because when we give parents tips about how to start conversations, nature it is an obvious way in. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it, it has to be age appropriate. And I think that, you know, in schools, the curriculum is designed in a brilliantly you know, sequential, coherent way that it builds these stepping stones. So you're talking about relationships first, so friendships, communities, um, different family structures. Um, you're talking about consent and, you know, bodily autonomy, private parts. Um, and then all that builds into the secondary curriculum, which is then much more about built around sexual reproduction. Um, and then I think where it differs to sort of the animal conversation is that obviously humans also have sex for pleasure, not just to create humans. And so I think that's a really important thing that parents can do at home is, is bring in their own values around that the consenting adults engage in sexual activity for the purpose of pleasure. And that's a really hard thing for parents to take on board because the thought of their little babies being sexual beings is really uncomfortable um, naturally because mm -hmm. we, we, you know, they're, they're our children. So I think, you know, we know that the vast majority of young people go on to be sexually active. So I think we have to, given that, think about, well, what do we want that activity to be like? We want it to be informed. We want it to be safe. We want it to be consensual and we want it to be pleasurable. 
And so it is worth investing time in this. And I think for, you know, what I had was I had Judy Bloom, if anyone remembers Judy Bloom, um, an author who wrote quite racy fiction on um, intimacy. And I also had Claire Rayner, who wrote Facts of Life. Um, and my mum put those on my bed. And she was sort of saying, you know, I can't do this, but here you go. Um, and I think it's really interesting and possibly the per first point that parents listening to this can think about is, you know, what was their sex education like formally and informally? And usually it's hugely lacking. And, mm. and that, you know, what was the impact of that on our lives? You know, what had we what do we wish we'd had as information? Um, perhaps more on balanced relationships, perhaps less of the pregnancy scaremongering and the STI horrific pictures and the awful birthing videos, you know, all of that. How can we have that protective, um, you know, comprehensive approach and thinking about, okay, we didn't have this, but what is it that I want for my child? You know, what is it that I didn't get that I really want my child to know? Um, so that we can think about it a bit more objectively. But I think it's also important to note that we don't recommend, sort of, as, as a relationship and sex educators, it's not our role to push anyone into an uncomfortable zone where they have to talk about things that, that they don't feel um, safe talking about. And I think there's one, one thing that's important at this day and age is that we are blessed with so many books we are have a wealth of resources online so it's about finding the resources to help start those conversations at home but i would say the question i get asked the most is when do you start talking about this with children um and from a very young age i think it's definitely about using as much as possible correct terminology for private parts um so penis vulva and obviously vagina is part of the vulva, but we're trying to use proper words. And, and I know lots of families use code names. Um, and, and what we say is that's absolutely fine. Um, as long as your child also knows the proper name, you know, if we went to the doctor, what would the doctor say? What would the doctor understand? He would understand or she would understand penis, vulva, testicle, anus, breast, whatever it might be. And, and that is, you know, saying... This is what your body does. Um, this is what your body parts are called. Um, and that's a really, really empowering thing to be able to name rather than have these code words that not everyone understands, um, that aren't necessarily safe in terms of a child who has, you know, on a basic level, perhaps an itchy vulva or a, a, a testicle that's sore. You know, can they let a trusted adult know specifically about what's going on with their body? And then obviously there's the darker side of keeping children safe. Um, but it's so important that in the home, uh, you know, we're able to try and shift some of the sort of stigma around, you know, why is it we haven't been able to use these words for generations? You know, we can say head, shoulders, knees, toes, uh, can't say all the rest. So I think correct terminology is huge when they're little um, and always reminding about this aspect of you know why they are called private parts um and making sure that that you know, they understand at some point that it's not okay to run around naked <laughs> you know there is a window for that 
And, you know, we don't go to the toilet publicly. When we go swimming, we wear a swimsuit, and that's because they're private parts of our body. Um, as we move up, sort of pro probably, you know, halfway through the primary years, when there's questions around babies, um, then the, the, the sort of approach that we have is that we talk about ingredients um, and then different recipes for that. Um, and, and I think when it comes to ingredients and recipes, it's so important for parents to perhaps ask their children, you know, where did you hear that? Or, well, what do you think? Because sometimes we can go down paths that we didn't mean to go. And I, I don't know if you've seen a, a really funny video on YouTube, which is called Mummy, What's a Virgin? No. No, I need to go and quickly look now. <laughs> so, so, uh, Mum's doing her cooking. She's cooking her soup, chopping her peppers, um, and her daughter's drawing next to her. And she goes, Mummy, what's a virgin? And mum absolutely freezes. Um, her daughter's about seven, I think. And she's like, God, we haven't even had the sex talk. Um, and now I've got to talk about virginity and all this sort of thing. You can see panic absolutely setting in. And so she goes into this long-winded answer about, well, daddy's special place and mummy's special place. And, you know, and daddy and mummy have a special dance. And, you know, and then... Uh, we try and make a baby. Um, and after that's happened for the first time, well, we're not a virgin anymore. And then the little girl turns over and she turns and looks at her mum and she says, well, well, what's extra virgin olive oil? <laughs> Brilliant. Love so, it. Perfect example. And I can't stress this enough. Where did you hear that, darling? That's a brilliant question. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and who told you this? Because she could have avoided this whole conversation. Yes, yeah. um, and just a couple of things to pick up on in there is, you know, mummy's special place, daddy's special place. Like, let's be specific, you know. Um, well, there's two ingredients that we need to make babies, and that is sperm, um, and that uh, is eggs. And then you can talk about where they're located in the body. Um, and with young children where we don't perhaps feel ready to talk about the idea of sexual intercourse, we can talk about those two ingredients meeting and sometimes they might make a baby, uh, not always. And I want to say that in this day and age, we should also be broadening out this conversation so that it isn't just about sexual reproduction. It's also about children who are born through IVF, children who are born... Um, through IUIs, you know, there's surrogacy, there's adoption, there's foster parents, there's single parents. So I think, you know, we are doing them a bit of a disservice. Um, you know, my, my kids are born through IVF. So the first conversation we had was we used books and they included clinicians and laboratories and tests and medications. And, and you know, I, I remember quite clearly saying this is one of the ways that babies are made. Um, so, you know, and, and then they, some children come to the idea of how they meet through sexual reproduction on their own, um, and, and they can recount that to you. Um, I've seen children who, who have worked out, you know, the sperm's in the testicle, and the egg is released by the ovary, um, and then there comes a point where the penis enters the vagina, and then the two ingredients meet. And 
I've just said it in a really simple way, but I know how difficult it is to say what I've just said to children, um, because for us, it's that's like, oh my God, and it's about bodies and penetration and, you know, a pleasure as well. How am I going to talk about that? Um, but if it's said in a really matter of fact way, and they've got the ingredients, they use the words penis and vagina before in lots of different contexts, then it will be like, oh, oh yeah, that makes sense. And, or it might be, oh, yuck, that's disgusting. You mean you did that? And actually, that's exactly what we want them from them. We want that reaction of either, oh, okay, I'm going to go back to my Lego now, um, or that's not something that I'm comfortable thinking about because that's you and daddy and that's your bodies. And, and we want that because that's what stops them from being sexually active when they're seven. Um, so it's really, really normal reaction for them to just, ew, yuck, the whole thing's, you know, not pleasant. So I think if we know that that's okay for them to react that way, uh, we can be like, yeah, that, that, it does seem odd, doesn't it? But you know, it's something that adults do um, and, and when they feel ready to and when they're both happy to and when they feel safe and all these elements around consent, safety, pleasure have already sort of been built in. Um, you know, so elements of just even talking about a hug and how much some people love hugs and some people don't love hugs is part of the consent conversation and the pleasure conversation. Isn't it the point that you don't need to build up to one specific conversation because that kind of you know if you kind of think about it like that that is oh my goodness this is going to be horrific that whole thing we've got to have the conversation whereas if and I think you know probably I said I don't remember um having any sex talk I think probably in the same way that I have done even from little tiny tots I spoke with my children about everything just because I didn't want to do that whole we need to have the conversation, you know, and it kind of just has carried on. And even now they're teenagers, we don't probably talk about it because they are probably a little bit more embarrassed about that kind of thing. And actually they've been through all the things that you go into schools to do, um, you know, and they had good biology teacher and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, you still do have those kind of conversations with them, maybe not so explicit because they don't need that, but they do know what's consensual what's okay you know particularly my daughter she's very good at knowing you know actually if you say no then that means no you know that's the whole kind of thing that they're moved on to but I think people need to appreciate that they don't have to just have this moment in time where the whole thing is going to be revealed that's, yeah yeah I think it has to be very kind of uh, you know information that's drip fed in very slowly Children don't want also the big kitchen table talk. Um, you know, young people are, are telling us in all sorts of surveys, they, they just want quick answers to questions and then they, they don't want the whole monologue that's coming afterwards. And they also don't necessarily want personal stories of ours, um, which I think parents feel they tend to do is like <laughs> overshare all this stuff that, you know, well, I learned this and that was wrong, so I really want you to know. <laughs> um, so I think it's, yeah, absolutely about, you know, really manageable chunks of information. And I think there's there's something empowering about us also as parents giving that really factual information, um, perhaps before we even think they're ready for it, um, 
because then it just becomes part of their everyday language in the same way that we're talking about, you know, whatever it might be, uh, homework or, or swimming galas. or And it's just presented in this same format. Because um, often I hear from parents, oh, he or she isn't ready uh, or he or she hasn't asked questions yet. Um, but there, there's so much value in, in being the one to initiate the talk. And also knowing that what you're telling your child is factual and honest and, and safe. Um, so, you know, if they are the one to take it into the school playground, then what they're telling is true. It's not, you know, you, you put it in your ear and then it sperm swims all the way down your <laughs> spine and finds the egg somewhere, you know, all sorts of misinformation. I think that the worry from parents is, oh, I don't want to be my child to tell the friends, but someone will be that child. So, you know, so empowering for them to know. And also I think the argument for starting early is, is you're trying to get in before the awkwardness and the embarrassment kicks in. I think that's a big, big uh, plus. I think I've worked with lots of different families of lots of different makeups. And like you say, through IVF, through um, surrogacy, through um, all of those kind of different situations and interestingly the children who have the experience of things such as surrogacy or IVF and all of those things where they're talked to about it from a very very young age it's just part of what is they just talk about it and I love it when they're there going well you need the sperm mm. and the egg and they you know they're talking about I, I remember one little one kind of turning around to someone and they're like oh you know we're gonna we we've got a baby in our tummy and it was a couple and this little one turned around and went oh right so it was your sperm and their egg and this couple are like huh <laughs> and they're like yeah well they come together they make a baby they're in the uterus da, 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 da. and it was just oh and yeah. actually there was no awkwardness there was no oh are they gonna ask how the baby got there um, same as how did the baby get out and all those sorts of things. It's like, oh, well, it, you know, came through the yeah. vagina and they're like, oh, okay. And I, yeah. I completely agree with you that yeah. actually when yeah. it's part of their world and it's just something that's talked about, it it doesn't become a big thing. Whereas yeah. I've also worked with children who have huge amounts of questions and don't know where to go. Mm. And they go to each mm. other and then you have these really confused children because they're all sat there going, well, I got told this and I got told this. And ultimately you want your children to have complete trust in what you say is true because you want them to come to you on mm. anything. And if it comes, you know, and I, th yeah. I do think being really open from a very young age and just it's it's human nature, isn't it? But it does still make everyone slightly like different people are different levels of awkwardness with regards to this. And for whatever personal reason yeah. that is. Um, and I think a lot of that comes through in how we approach it with our children. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to take a deep breath and go for it and be like, yeah, and if you have um, if you do have a same sex couple who are talking to a child about having a baby, you know, they they would have probably, if they had, a, you know, either one of them would have carried it or you would have had a surrogate or, you know, whichever way it happened. Um, presumably they talk, you would 
suggest that they talk to children in the same way that you would talk to any child about the fact that babies can be born in different ways. This is how you were born, but this is how somebody else might be born and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. And actually, I think what you're saying, Claire, is, 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 is I, I can I totally um, relate to that because in the classrooms, if there are children, like you say, who have had a surrogate or who are IVF or those parents, I think, are, are even more motivated because they are so aware that this was perhaps quite unusual at a time when there wasn't much of this modern science going on. And they really trying to normalize it as much as possible. So they've got all the books, you know, they've had all the talks. It's been embedded as part of the story since day one. Um, and and thankfully, thank goodness, now we've got a curriculum that reflects that, you know, it isn't just um, this heteronormative um, ideal anymore. It's It's much, much broader. But I think generally speaking, being honest, you know, there's there's that there shouldn't really be any compromise there in terms of answering questions honestly. Um, but I think if there is a question that makes us feel panicky and perhaps we don't feel that it's too much. So, for example, something like what is sexual assault or what is rape or really heavy things that perhaps have been are being asked before the child has an understanding of what safe consensual sex is. Um, we, we want to be able to lay the healthy foundations of what safe, consensual, pleasurable sex is, and then later say, well, actually, sometimes this happens. But, but first, that child's understanding of that will be a positive one, a balanced one. Um, so I think that's the only time when I would say being mindful that the first understanding is a positive one. Um, and then the other thing is, if um, we're just not able to answer the question is, find someone who, who you can um, get some support from, who can perhaps answer for you. Perhaps there's a godmother, perhaps there's a neighbour that they love, um, a nanny or someone who you can say, well, actually, you know, Joe asked me this question and I, I just can't bring myself to answer it. Um, so there's, there's, it's quite, it's quite freeing for a child also to see us saying, do you know, I'm not sure or, do you know, mum's not able to answer that question right now for you, but that's a brilliant question. Um, but maybe um, I can find a great book or um, I'll find a video or I'll ask Auntie Jane to come round. Um, but really, really making sure that the child has um, the question answered, because I think what a lot of young people are telling us down the line is they can read us visit our physical cues around, oh, my gosh, no, can't deal with this. Um, and then that closes the door to the conversation. Um, so, you know, absolutely um, feel free to say, oh, my gosh, not sure. Or, you know, ask someone else or give yourself, buy yourself some time as well um, in that sense. <clears throat> and and also taking the heat out of the situation. You know, perhaps if you're driving a car, um, it feels a little bit more like you're not, one-to-one -one spotlight shining on you to be happy being in the car is, and your yeah. child's looking at you, you know, and being headlights. in the car is a great place um, isn't it you know whilst you're walking a dog or you know doing something passive say, oh by the way you know auntie jane you know she got pregnant well what, how do you think that happened you know or whatever it might be asking the questions for mm -hmm. them in a way 
um, and making ourselves, you know, as approachable as possible, but not necessarily the fountain of all knowledge because it's, it's, uh, we can't possibly know everything, I think. I remember being in the car with my friend and one of my goddaughters and my goddaughter was in the back and we're just driving along and um, she just, she turned, we were talking about randomly puppies at the time and um, she's like, so how did the puppies get there? How, how are puppies made like this? And my friend's like, well, uh, well, you know what we talked about and you know that it's, you know, and she gave this very unusual explanation of how babies are made, which I'm, I'm driving and I'm going, where did you get that idea from to tell her? <laughs> but anyway, I just sort of carried along and thinking we'll have to have a chat about that afterwards because we're going down this rabbit hole. So I'm just going to, I can't step in. And um, so we, there was met with silence. And then my goddaughter just went, I think we all know that isn't true, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and my friend went, what? This is it. And, she, and she just went, it's not true. It's not biologically possible. And I was just like, yeah. so I started to chuckle and she just went, Auntie Claire, do you want to just tell me what it is? And I was like, I don't think I need to. I've got a feeling you know, you know. and you can tell us. I was like, it's fine. I said, you tell us what you know, and then, I'll, you know, we'll tell you whether that's right, wrong, and if there's anything that, you know, you're not sure about. And um, yeah. she recited it exactly as it is. Um, and she went, and that is biologically possible. And I was like, <laughs> and my friend just went, okay, well. And that was a nice little trip that we, you know, to the supermarket and back. And it's like, oh, didn't see that one coming. Lovely. But she, she knew it. That. And it was just the way she just yeah. went. I think we all know that's not true. I was like, but at least she said that. She didn't just sit there and go, do you know what? Mm. I know they're not telling me the truth. And yeah. then not come. Mm-hmm. She she challenged it, which was great. But um, I think, yeah, cars, going on a walk, any of those sorts of things are much more kind of... It's easier, isn't it? Easier. But how do you Absolutely. deal with things about chil- when children start to become aware of their own bodies and start to touch parts of their bodies that you you Mm. sometimes feel a little bit like oh gosh I don't really know what to do about Mm. that I mean it obviously that's when children are littler isn't it because you know we have parents don't we Claire Mm. asking about and saying I'm really worried because my child and it's almost like sometimes you find it's a comfort thing don't you yeah that they're actually touching their part private parts because they're feeling they feel comfort from it yeah. And that's yeah. a hard think, thing as a parent. Mm, I think it's really difficult. And a lot of parents um, are concerned about that because sometimes when it does happen, it tends to happen quite frequently as well and not necessarily mm. in the most appropriate places. Um, mm. But I think, first of all, you know, the, the, what we're talking about is, is yeah, self-soothing ultimately is and curiosity. Um, especially, I want to say for um, for girls who don't necessarily see their anatomy, um, they're also kind of exploring what's going on there, um, and perhaps they sort of worked out that something might feel nice. Um, and I think it's so important not to sort of bat their hands away and and demonise that because you know we want them to understand their body. But I think there's a boundary that we need to put in place in terms of where it's okay to do that. 
Um, and that brings in a great opportunity to talk about um, privacy um, in terms of, you know, when is it okay to touch my private parts? Well, when is it okay to be naked? Or, you know, when is it okay to, is it still okay to go to the loo with the door open and that sort of thing? Um, so generally what we say is with, with really young children, if it's difficult for them not to, is to try and find something else for them to fiddle with. Um, without demonizing the behavior I'm just saying well you know when when you're at home it's okay um, but when you are out and about if you can just use your fidget toy or, or whatever it might be um, where I struggle slightly is if parents for instance know that that perhaps a, a tween or a, or a preteen or a teen is actually masturbating um, and is doing so in their bed um, if a parent's struggling with that then ultimately you know, there's not really much that, that that I can advise them at that point because if you if you say, well, you can't do that, then you know, there's so many underlying messages around not being able to touch your own body, not being able to give yourself pleasure. Um, and so I think, you know, there's 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 those two sort of posts, if you like, around, you know, publicly we're trying to avoid avoid it. So at home, if you want to do it, can you do it in your bedroom or trying to find a substitute? Um, and older children will soon understand that it's not appropriate to do it outside. A lot of parents I hear from, um, I hear I hear about car seats and belts being rubbed, particularly on the clitoral area. Um, and sometimes that is just rubbing um, and it feels nice, doesn't necessarily lead to any sort of orgasm. Um, and I think, again, it, it's really up to how, you know, the parent deals with it. You know, my professional but also personal approach would be not to stigmatize it in any way. Um, and, you know, if your child's going on play dates and is likely to, um, you know, touch themselves while they're on the play dates, then just trying to have those conversations around, you know, it's okay to do it, but if you can do it at home and if you can do it in your bedroom, um, so they know that it's okay, but there are certain things we don't do in public. So, I I um I shall say that I had a little one. This was years ago, one of my first nanny jobs, and he used to just lie on the sofa, um, normally drinking his milk with his teddy bear, and um, and I just remember one day he turned around and he's like, "Whoa, look, my Willie wants to watch TV too," and we're all like. <laughs> <laughs> great and um so he'd obviously you know been there and he'd kind of you know been it was pleasurable for him and he was just like no yeah. look I think he's telling me he wants to watch this he's like so he can't go back in my pants because he's got to watch it and we're like no no he's got yeah. he's got to go back in your yeah. pants for a couple of days he walked around the house with it hanging over the top of his pants because he's like it's very dark <laughs> yeah. in there and he doesn't like it and we're like darling you just go back in your pants um, because you don't need and he's like I sat at the di uh, I remember sitting him up for food and he's like hold on and I'm like no <laughs> he doesn't need to come out for the meal time <laughs> and the thing was it was just this pure innocence and yeah. how we and we were just like no 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 he, he he's okay in his pants that's where he is and we don't yeah. all need to see him and da 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 da. And yeah. it was very short lived, but hilarious. And it's still, it's yeah. one of my, 
and the thing is he's he's in his 20s now so it's just like you know (laughs) you're there going oh wow those days but it was it is it's exploring their body it's that whole thing and I was really lucky that family were very very kind of open about those things Mm. we talked about those things again um and I it it wasn't shamed in any way it was just Mm. talked about that yeah that's what happens to your willy you know and that sort of thing and he he was fine about it again because we were just there wasn't a big reaction to it I think when we do the big reactions is when they they panic and kind of go well why and then they do it more to find out why we're reacting the way we're reacting I think Mm -hmm. exactly exactly but I love that he he would call it he as well (laughs) he he he's in the dark he wants to come out I love that but yeah not not stigmatizing (laughs) like no he needs to stay there (laughs) stay there for now but yeah and I think you know, really trying to make what's happening yes. to your body, oh, that's interesting, um, and normalising it, and then bringing in a boundary that's about keeping them safe, ultimately. Um, and also, mm-hmm. I want to say this this kind of goes hand hand in hand with um, the, the, the what we call nocturnal emissions in schools or wet dreams, um, is that, you know, that there was a recent stat that was that 80% of boys were having them um, and not a clue what they were. And again, I think at home, there's such a great opportunity when we're preparing for puberty and we're talking to them about how the body's going to change. And and I think, especially with something like wet dreams, when we think, oh my gosh, it's to do with pleasure and it's to do with, with bodily fluids and, and I just can't cope with this conversation. Um, framing it in a way that is actually, do you know what, when you go through puberty or your testicles start producing sperm and so your testicles might feel a bit heavier um, and sometimes some of that sperm will need to be released otherwise you know your testicles will be really sore um, and that might happen at night so if you wake up in the morning and there's a little puddle in the bed you haven't wet yourself which is what they all think um, it's it's the sperm being released and sometimes it might feel nice you know I think there's a way of framing things which makes something that used to be really taboo for us thinking about it, same with periods, um, into a, oh, there's that puddle that, you know, auntie was talking about. There, well, there it is. Well, she did say, oh, I'll just wrap up my sheets and pop them in the washing basket. You know, so it's not this kind of, um, you know, shameful, is am I normal and why can't I hold my wee situation? So I think something like that is is a you know, good example of, of how we can prepare them without them being scared about what's happening. Because um, we know puberty is such an overwhelming time, you know, all the chemicals, but also all the bodily changes. So I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. So much goes on, doesn't it? Bless. Oh, it does. Such a lot. I've got to ask you, Saskia, which books <laughs> would you recommend? Um, so for young children, I would recommend um, a book which is called Getting Smart About Your Private Parts. And then there's two other books which are similar to that, which bring in the whole consent conversation around bodily autonomy, trusted adults. And they're two books by Janine Sanders. One is called What My Body Says and Does. And then the other one is No Means No. Um, Mm -hmm. So they, I would say, are more for sort of... um, uh, probably three or four years old all the way up to seven and eight 
Okay. Um, and then at that age, you're probably looking at more around sexual reproduction and how babies are made and, you know, what actually happens. Um, and now there are some amazing, inclusive, very progressive books, which um, are not just talking about the whole penis and vagina thing, but about all sorts of families. Um, and one is called What Makes a Baby? And it's by Corey Silverberg, who has written a lot of uh, books on sex education for young people. Um, so that one for, I would say, seven plus is called What Makes a Baby? But then he also has one which is called um, Sex is a Funny Word. Because now when we're talking about sex, it's not just an act. It's lots of different things. Um, and I think, you know, what, what young people are telling us is that the conversation they had in biology around reproduction um, wasn't very helpful in terms of giving them any idea that um, it's not just about um, the male body's pleasure, which is what creating life depends on. Um, you know, where's the conversation around female pleasure? Um, how is it inclusive? Um, you know, same-sex couples won't necessarily adhere to that idea of, you know, virginity or losing something, you know, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. losing your wallet, using your, losing your phone, losing your virginity or popping the cherry and all these terms. We're kind of really trying to dismantle them. Um, so yeah, Corey Silverberg is, is a bit up there, um, in, in sex ed world in terms of his, um, his books, but I'd be more than happy to send through a whole list. Um, what I have is a book list by topic um, and by age. Mm -hmm. So for consent, okay. you know, there's the zero to five and then there's the five to eight. And then we talk about consent in a sexual context. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we really want the consent conversation to not be about sex first. Um, it doesn't just mm -hmm. come up when it's about physical activity. It should be about, you know, being able to say no to a play date or a, not wanting to lend someone my pencil case, you know, everyday consent stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then when we bring it into a sexual context, hopefully, you know, we're, we're feeling empowered and, and confident enough to say no to that because we've had lots of practice saying no to other things or yes. <laughs> so Saskia does... Um... Does Where Willie Went um, feature on your list? Yes. Yay. Yes, I love Where Willie Went. Yes, yeah, Claire. We, absolutely love it. We love Where Willie Went, Claire. It's it's Bex's yeah. go-to. Any book we ever, and... I love She's always like, no, we you should put Where Willie Went in there. And it's like, oh. But it's so funny because this morning we went on, I went on my dog walk with my husband and I was telling him that we were doing this podcast and um, and I said, you know, I was just trying to think some kind of questions that, you know, we can things that we can talk about. And he said, well, you can always talk about where Willie went. <laughs> Brilliant. Even you know, he loved it. About that book is the stories, the fact that they talk about the story of each person mm. and then that creating a unique set of stories. Um, the other ones which I must mention are the Babette Cole books. Um, one's called Hair in Funny Places, um, Mummy Laid an Egg, a little bit like your friend Claire. Um, you know, they're like, oh, girls and girls are made of spice and all things nice and boys are made of all the rest. And they're like, uh, no, actually, that's not true. So and, and she also 
um, has a page which is all about the pleasure aspect of, you know, what is it that, that mum and dad get up to when they're on their own, um, when they close the door, when they go on date nights and, and you know, really talking about the, the, the love and the, the intimacy on a, on a really open level. I think that's, that's a huge thing to be able to bring into the home. Um, you know, they might have great sex ed at school, but at home, that's when we want to make, you know, the, the, the hugs and the touching and the physical closeness and all the hormones and chemicals that happen during that. Um, and I think that's, that's been one huge element that's been missing from perhaps a lot of Definitely. teens' education mm -hmm. is this idea of, you know, feeling good about it and crushes and butterflies in the tummy. And we want them to have all that. And we know it's happening a lot on their devices now, all the, you know, beginning phases. Um, but we, there needs to be a huge injection of, of that, I think, you know, romance, mm. you know, normalising all of that, bringing it back into the home. I've, I've kind of experienced quite a few times where maybe the parents have shown, you know, had a cuddle or given each other a kiss and the children are like, oh, they're having sex. It's like, no, no, they're not. And um, they're like, yeah, yeah, they are. And you're like, no. And that's, you know, it comes from kind of these whole thing of, oh, we have a special cuddle and a baby mm. comes. And mm. so when you're cuddling, it's like, mm. are we going to have a baby? It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like a, yeah. a special cuddle is a very yeah. different thing. But the amount of times I've seen children, if you see their parents or, you know, anyone kissing, I remember, um, it, actually, I even remember, again, my eldest goddaughters who are twins, they came when they were to my house, when, probably when they were about, five or six and we have two female dogs um and one was in season and so they were riding each other and I just remember my god one of the goddaughters turned around again oh have you got lesbian dogs Auntie Claire <laughs> and I was like right well least least we know and Hello. she's like because they can't have sex you know yeah. and I'm like okay <laughs> yeah. but I was like great you knew yeah. like perfect you know and we yeah. then talked about yeah. how might you know a lesbian couple be able to have a baby and all those sorts of things but it was just instant mm. of mm. you know have you got lesbian dogs and I was like mm. no, I don't think so but I don't know the, 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 you know but you know they won't be able to have babies yeah so that's really mm. interesting because yeah. I think and I was quite impressed with that yeah but I think that's why in schools it's so important that that whole conversation is matched, not just yeah. around reproduction, but that around pleasure. Otherwise, there's this assumption that you're only doing it to have a baby. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that causes all sorts of, of knock-on effects. You know, and I, I've taught teenagers who have only had that narrative and who are then, you know, uh, very much anti-abortion, let's say, as well, because they're like, well, you did it, so what do you expect? You know, uh, obviously, you know, you, you knew you were going to potentially create a life, so what do you... And actually, well, it's not it's not that simple. Mm. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of unpacking there to do in terms of, you know, making sure they know that it's okay that people engage in that activity, and even in a lesbian, you know, same-sex couple, that they will also be close and intimate, um, not for the point of having a child because they want to and it feels nice. Um, and, you know, I've said to my daughter, who's 10, um, you know, you'll, you'll have great lessons at school, PSHE, you know, RSE, whatever it is. 
but what you might not hear about is that sex is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun and, and that can only be fun if it's safe, you know. So these are the things to think about in terms of, of safety. But yeah, I think the role at home is, is about bringing that whole aspect into it in terms of the, the pleasure conversation, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Saskia, do you ever get embarrassed about talking about sex? Um, at any point because obviously it's your job but I don't know I just wondered if there's like that moment where you're just like oh like that's my yeah I mean I think it's not necessarily embarrassment it's perhaps if I'm teaching let's say yesterday I taught sixth form about intimate relationships wow wow and um we it was 180 teenagers in a room so it was a really large auditorium and we use a, a digital uh, tool where they can uh, interact through their mobile phones. Um, so I can, they can ask questions, they can vote, they can poll, they can rank different things. I won't get embarrassed by questions because I think when you start a lesson, you're very clear that you're not going to answer anything personal. Uh, there's no such thing as a silly question. All questions are welcome. I will try and answer everything. And I think it's so important to also acknowledge that if you're going in to talk about puberty you're naturally going to get questions about uh, discharge or um you know the, the the smell of vulvas or um you know bodily fluids or perhaps even things like miscarriage and abortion and i think it's just the nature of, of mm-hmm. the subject means that you know we, we had to unpack a lot of that in the training in terms of how to to, to make yourself resilient enough um, without judging anyone's questions, so not shaming anyone for asking something, but also being able to give give an answer that's safe, for instance. My daughter asked me the other day, she's 10, what is 69 and why, does, why are people laughing? I am delighted <laughs> to be able to <laughs> ask that question, um, just to give you an idea of where I'm at, because it's a an opportunity to talk about um, something that that was supposed to be uncomfortable. And I, I want her to feel that she can get a really honest answer from me. Um, and because we've laid the foundations of people touching each other for pleasure, it's not all about penetration. It's about all body parts touching anyone, no matter what your gender, no matter what your orientation. I know, you know, when we were talking about, uh, you know, same sex, that the first time I told her about how two males might interact, she was she was pretty shocked by that. So we took a moment and now it's in the toolkit, you know, and there's no embarrassment or shame. You know, I, I am in a privileged position where I get to do it a lot and make a lot of mistakes and then make it better. Um, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, uh, yeah, I've had some I've had some pretty personal, tricky questions that I just kind of have to impressive. either bat away or disintegrate them somewhere in the atmosphere. Yeah. In I'm I'm sure, and I, I don't know, but how did you answer that question? Because people are probably going to go, "What would I? How would I answer that?" Because it's yeah. a the 69 question. Yeah. Do you know what? Yes. The, do you know what's really funny is that my mum told me that she had to tell my granny what that was. Oh, <laughs> hilarious. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> granny was like, oh, well, I, I don't think Frank would have. Um, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
hilarious. No, yeah. so I answered that question um, by talking about the fact, reminding her that there are different types of sex that can be had. Um, there's penetrative sex, there's oral sex, there's anal sex, there's um, all sorts of ways that body parts can interact with each other, reminding about consent and safety and all those things. And then when we spoke about oral sex, I said to her that it's when someone uses their mouth on parts of the anatomy of the other person. So that that's something that she she knows about. Um, and so I, I, I wrote out the numbers and I said, well, if, if the head's here and the legs are here and then you turn the other one around, <laughs> then you put the puzzle together. Um, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I bought a resource the other day that I really want to mention on here, if that's okay. If anyone plays double, uh, where you have to call out mm-hmm. and put the cards down, I bought a version of that, which is called Sex Ed Double. And and on each card, there are different images. Um, so there's you know, penis, vagina, clitoris, uh, condom. So it's it's definitely for teenagers. It's not for younger children. But not only is it hilarious, because if anyone doesn't know what you're doing, <laughs> they can hear it is shouting, clitoris! <laughs> <You know, laughs> <anal. laughs> um, it removes all the stigma, all the discomfort, um, it's a fantastic way of just getting rid of, of any discomfort and amazing conversation starter around all to- all sorts of topics um, in this area. You know, we, we spoke about chlamydia and mm-hmm. HIV and pornography. And, and so this, this game, which I will put on the book list at the end for you, um, is brilliant. And it's also worth saying, you know, you could create your own more appropriate level yeah. whilst also reminding that, you know, it's perhaps not something to bring over on a play date because not everyone's as <laughs> open or comfortable as us talking about these things. <laughs> it might not be one when the grandparents come over to, unless you've got grandparents yeah. who are very kind of open and <clears throat> happy. Yeah. To yeah. Well, but she played with my mum the other day and I, I really wanted her to to experience some of the stuff we, that we've been doing at home. And I have to say, my mum was brilliant. <laughs> oh, that was big. Excellent. Yeah, she was brilliant. Oh. Well, I think we've probably, I mean, I, I actually feel that we could go on, but mm. we probably ought not to because otherwise people will be like, how long are these podcasts? Um, but um, just to say thank you again, just for opening our eyes and helping people feel comfortable with something which is such a tricky topic for so many people. I think people will feel much more comfortable about having those conversations now they've listened to you talking about it. And also feel confident that there are people going into schools like you that are having these conversations and, and that it's things are covered in the curriculum. And and actually, if you do feel then uncomfortable, then perhaps it's a it's a thing to say to school, please, can you help me? You know, I'm sure there's people there, aren't there? Yes. And, and actually, the curriculum is very clear about it has to be a partnership with parents and carers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the sex education is about values, skills and attitudes. And the values is really what's coming in from home. And it's the merging of those three things that we want. So, Parents should be consulted by the school on their views mm-hmm. and schools must have um, a sex education policy as well, which should outline, you know, what terminology they use at school and also what they're covering 
by age group, um, in what year group. So parents often don't want to approach, but you know sometimes it's on the website, you can just have a look. Um, but schools will be thrilled to have a parent come in saying, actually, can I just have a read of the policy and uh, just not sure, you know, where is it that you put, uh, you know, healthy relationships or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, so don't be hesitant about approaching the school. They, they, they more often than not hear about disgruntled parents and they need to hear from those that are supporting this. Definitely. So thanks ever so much, Saskia. You, Saskia. Really appreciate it. And just super glad you recommend Where Willie Went. That's just oh, You had to get that <laughs> in, didn't you? <laughs> yep. That's true. It's on the book list already. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't, thanks, it would have to be Saskia. because I'd add it. I would have added it. Don't worry. <laughs> it's a classic. It's a classic. That's everything for today. Thanks for listening. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, we'd love you to get in touch and let us know. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bespoke Family or head to our website. The links are in our show notes. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We're Bex and Claire and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Team and everything in between. See you then.